Alright guys, welcome to Hypocrites Podcast. So this episode has been a long time coming, a lot of requests for it, and uh, I actually tried doing this almost a year ago, and I had some huge audio problems. I filmed the whole thing in an hour, and after I got done, I started listening to it, and the audio was really bad, and I kind of gave up on it. I was like, you know what, I'll just wait until I get some new equipment. I got a new computer in like a week ago. So I was like, all right, maybe I should make my episode now. So I got my new computer, just plugged it in, started doing my episode, and it cut out on about 12 minutes. So <laughs> this freaking episode is cursed. Um, so those of you who are listening to this, um, you know, you want to hear my story. You want to know how I got on the sex offender registry. And uh, I'm going to try and give you every detail that I can. This case was 17 years ago, and it's really difficult to remember everything. But I'm going to try and go as as detailed as I can on everything. Um, I guess I'll start, try not to bore you too much, but I'll start with uh, my childhood. So growing up, I was a goody-goody, never did anything bad. I never broke the law. I never uh, drank alcohol, never tried smoking. I actually have a phobia of cigarettes and, and inhaling smoky things into your mouth. I don't know if you guys knew that, but um, so yeah, never tried that. Uh <sighs> This actually comes into my story later when they're trying to do the pre-sentence investigation, so um, it has some relevance. Um, this story actually starts with a girl. You know, surprise, surprise, not the girl that you know, I got in trouble with, but a different one. Um, so there was this girl. I guess I could considered her my first love when I was a freshman, and uh, you know, kind of that puppy love. You know, the first heartbreak. Uh, dated for about a year. Broke my heart sophomore year, and. Um, Ended up dating another girl basically like a week after that, which was like a rebound, and dated that girl for like two years, <laughs> broke up with her right before graduation. Um, and then on graduation day, my ex that I haven't talked to in about two years tapped on my shoulder um, after the ceremony and was asking me how I was doing, my heart was racing, asked me, uh, you know, if we can catch up. I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, so I think it was like a week or two later, we ended up, uh, I think it was a week later, we ended up getting together on like a Wednesday night and spent the whole day together and had a lot of fun. And, you know, those feelings were coming back and I kind of was hopeful. I thought that maybe we we're going to get back together and everything. And <laughs> I don't want to get too graphic because, you know, it's gross. But um, by the end of the night, now, now I never slept with this girl, just so you guys know. Um, all I ever did, I kissed her. That was it. Um, I ended up losing my virginity to the girl I started dating right after her two years after we you know, we were dating for two years before I did, so I lost it after I was 18. I waited because I didn't want to do anything illegal. Um, you know, we started dating when I was 16. So um, so by the end of the night with my my high school sweetheart, if you want to call her, um, we got to the point where <laughs> she was completely naked in front of me, and um, I asked her if this was going to go anywhere before I went any further, and she said, no, I'm going to college. Uh I don't want a relationship, and I actually stopped myself. I said, well, then I don't want this, and that was it. So, you know, if there was anybody in the world at that time that I wanted to do that to, it was her, and I still said no because I wanted more than just that. And um, after that night, I was just devastated, you know, because I was just so hopeful of everything working and then us dating again, and it didn't work. So the next day at work... Um, I was not myself. Usually I'm really funny, happy, upbeat, you know, kind of the the guy who cheers everybody up. And my manager, which is the girl I got in trouble with, she 
pulled me off to the side. Now, I worked at, this is McDonald's. I worked at McDonald's for four years. The manager wasn't the manager at the time. She was actually the trainer when I started, and she trained me. So I, w- I was working with her for four years, and her brother even worked there, and I was pretty good friends with her brother. Um, so anyways, um, she pulled me off to the side. She pulled me outside and uh, put somebody else in the cash register I was working on. She's like, what the hell's going on with you? You know, you are not yourself. Um, you are just down. You know, everybody can tell what's wrong. I told her the whole story. I told her about my uh, you know, high school sweetheart, what happened, and I was heartbroken and everything. And she's like, you're too young for this. Um you need to stop worrying about love and just enjoy life and have fun. And there's the, the people that I lived with. So I just moved out of my mom's house and I moved in with some buddies. One of them, I actually got a job to work at McDonald's with me. So I lived with him. We both worked at McDonald's. Um, there's a, a girl who's having a birthday party that we worked with. Um, well, she was having a birthday. And my buddy, it was his parents' house and his parents didn't live here. So he rented out this house to... Um, well, he, he didn't rent it out. He allowed his sons, one was in, like in his 20s, and then his son, who was now 18 because he just graduated with me, and me, lived there. And uh, he paid for everything. So, I mean, you know, they're kind of a wealthier family. And um, my friend was volunteering to throw a birthday party for this girl. So all the employees are going to come over after work. I actually didn't know this until that night. So she's like, you know, I heard there's a birthday party going on at your house. And she's like, I'm not supposed to go to those things, but... I think tonight I'm going to, and we're going to get drunk. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I, I don't drink. She's like, I know. She's like, you know, everybody that I work with knew that I didn't drink because everybody that I work with did drink or they smoked marijuana or whatever, and they knew I was the goody-goody. So she was so excited, you know, um, that she thought she was going to get me drunk. And the whole night, it was an eight-hour shift. I was, she was kind of just bragging to everybody, you guys, you know, we're going to get Scott drunk. We're going to get Scott drunk. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And I'm like, guys, I'm not, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. You can try and convince me all you want. I'm not drinking. And it went like that the whole night. And uh, a couple of my friends came to the drive-thru. And uh, I was like, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? I think we got done at like 1 or 2 in the morning because I closed. And I was like, what are you guys doing at 1 or 2 in the morning? They're like, oh, nothing. I was like, hey, you want to meet me at a park by my house? I was like, I just need to vent. Um, and they're like, yeah, sure. So that's actually where I went after work. But anyways, um, at, the end of our sh- at the end of our shift when we were closing, after we um, you know, put all the cash registers away and everything, um, manager was sitting out in the lobby with me, and we were kind of talking about things. And the um, maintenance guy came in. He wasn't clocked in yet, but he just came in. And she asked him, because her and I were still on the clock, she asked him if he would be willing to go pick up a, a 24-pack of beer and put it on her truck seat and... Um, you know, wasn't being shy about it, was telling her, you know, we're getting Scott drunk tonight, and, you know, this is for him, and so she gave him some money, and he went and picked it up and put it on her seat, and I told her, I was like, I'm not drinking, she's like, yeah, you are, I'm like, no, I'm not drinking, so I left, and I did not go home, I went to the park, and I met my friends, and I was just laying it all out to them, I was venting, and uh, she called my phone, I think, two or three times, I kind of ignored it, and she texted me, and she's like, hey, you know, I, I spent all this money. I came all this way. I'm not even supposed to be here. It gave me a pretty good guilt trip. And I was like, damn it. Like, do I really want to go home to do this? You know, I started to doubt myself. Guilt trips are always my, my weakness. And uh, I was like, you know what? Be strong. Go home. Get your motorcycle keys and just go for a ride. Because that was always my, my getaway, you know, my stress reliever. So I went in my home, walked up to my room, and the my room didn't have a door because they were just building this room 
in the room across from me um, is where uh, my manager and like a bunch of the other guys were all hanging out and drinking and they caught me and he's like, hey, 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 and you know, ran up to me and grabbed me and pulled me in the room and put a beer in my hand and, oh, excuse me, and, uh, you know, I never tasted alcohol before until that moment. They're like, oh, crack it open, crack it open. And at this point, I was just, I just kind of let go. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. So cracked it open, took a sip. It was the nastiest damn thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. And uh, I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. So I went downstairs to dump it out. And uh, the other guy, the one, the guy that actually got in trouble with caught me. And he goes, he's like, hey, are you dumping that out? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he goes, I tell you what, hand me that. And I won't tell anybody. I was like, okay, thanks. So I went back upstairs. Of course, he told everybody, like, what? You know, you're dumping it out. So she also brought some uh, hard liquor. Like, there was vodka, tequila. I'm not really sure what else there was. But they're like, you know what? Try this. And they mixed uh, some drinks with orange juice. I think it was orange juice. And um, it was mostly orange juice, and there was, like, a little bit of alcohol. And they're like, you know, try that try this and, and take shots of this. So I started taking shots of, of vodka and tequila mixed with orange juice, you know, and the, the, I was, I was doing a lot, you know, I was kept saying, take another one, take another one. And, and the more I was taking, the more I was getting to the point where it was just less juice and more alcohol. Um, never drank before. I didn't really know my limit and it wasn't really hitting me. And then it hit me big time. Um, <laughs> I was pretty, I was pretty wasted. Um, or pretty, I was feeling pretty good. We should say. I mean, I think even took, I even took my shirt off at one point because I was just hot and I was like laughing and running around, um, you know, and everybody else in the room was, it was all the guys had the hots for this manager. So of course all the guys are asking her, you know, flirting and asking her really personal questions and stuff. And we, I think we ended up playing a game of truth or dare. And, uh, we were asking her, uh, personal questions and some of the stuff that she actually told us was pretty, uh, well, we didn't expect, I guess. Um, the guy that she was, she was dating somebody at the time. She said the guy that she was dating, um, enjoyed watching her with his friends and stuff like that. And I'm like, what? You know, that's something at that time I never heard of before. And, uh, you know, and they're asking her personal questions. Oh, if you could sleep with anybody, you know, that you work with, who would it be? And she's like, oh, there's two guys I want to sleep with. Of course I was one of them. And the other one was another guy who was in the room, not the guy who I got in trouble with, but he was in the room at the time. Uh, he's actually a black guy and a uh, cool guy. His name well, I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> but, um, he was also very, very high at the time. So uh, he was not with the party. He just, uh, I think he left to go to another party. But anyways, um, so everybody's given both of us some crap about it and everything. Like, oh, you guys, you lucky bastards, blah, blah, blah. And we thought it was pretty funny. So when I kept going, everything was uh, a lot of laughing and a lot of um, joking around and stuff. And guys started to go downstairs to the other part of the party because there was a lot of people there. Not too many people were upstairs. I think there was like seven or eight people in the room. And uh, everybody else was downstairs, and they're dancing and playing music and stuff like that. And um, more people left, and then it was just me, her, and I think it was like one or two other people in the room. But one of the guys was almost passed out on my couch. He was just out of it. And, um, oh, yeah, I also forgot to mention, um, she, like, took her bra off in front of everybody. Not to show anybody, but, you know, pulled it off under her shirt and just kind of like, dropped it. And I think just to tease the guys. And uh, not long after that, she's asked me to go massage her shoulders. I'm like, okay. And she's like, yeah, come give me a massage. So I was massaging her shoulders. Um, I'm a pretty strong dude. And uh, apparently my massages were not hard enough. So she wanted me to go harder and harder. And I could not do that very long because my hands were starting to hurt. But anyways, um, so it got to the end of the night. People started coming back upstairs. And uh, she's like, all right, you know, I think I'm going to get going. But she was pretty drunk. Um, I don't even know how much she drank. And, I mean, we all seemed pretty drunk at the time. And the other guys... 
We're like, how are you getting home? She's like, oh, I'm going to drive home. And we're like, no, 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 you can't drive home. And one of the guys kind of stood in front of the door. I was sitting on the edge of a bed. There was uh, a couch that folded out, and there was a bed in the room. And uh, uh, another guy was laying behind me on the bed. I was sitting on the end of the bed. There was somebody on a chair, and then there was two people on the other couch that turned into a bed. And then there was one guy standing in front of the door. And uh, you're like, no, no, you can't leave. Um, can somebody come pick you up? You know, call your brother or call somebody else. She's like, no, I'm not going to call anybody. I'm not even supposed to be here, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I'm just going to I'm just gonna go. And you're like, well, you know, stay here for a while, sober up, and then you can go. You know, or if you want to crash here, you can crash here. She's like, you know what, fuck it, I'll just crash here. So she crawled over. Um, well, I crawled over. She walked over and laid on top of me on this bed, tipping me backwards onto this bed. Guy laughed. He's like, oh, snap. Shut the light off and shut the door. Um, it was pitch black in the room. And that's pretty much when everything started happening. The guy who was laying behind me kind of joined in. Um, I do remember little beats and little beats and pieces of it. Um, I remember I got up and just like hurled all over the place, just vomited all over the floor. Um, I'm not really sure how loud everything was at the time, but somebody heard something, came upstairs, opened the door. The birthday girl actually walked upstairs, opened the door, saw everything, was like, "Oh my God, you guys!" And she yelled downstairs. Um, well, my manager wasn't supposed to be at this party, yet alone sleeping with her, her, uh, employees. So freaked out, jumped up, um, put her clothes on, ran out the door, like, like freaked out. And, uh, that's basically how everything started. So my friends, you know, I, I, the thing I was most worried about at the time was the fact that I was underage and I was drinking. And, uh, when she ran out, she didn't call the police or anything. She called her friend because she was freaking out. Her friend was also another manager that we worked with. And um, I was, you know, I was worried that people were going to hear I was underage drinking. And, and, like, that was the biggest thing I was worried about. So I actually grabbed my motorcycle keys and I hopped on my motorcycle to get ready to leave. My buddy, the guy who I lived with, he stopped me with another guy. And they're like, no, no, you can't leave. You know, you're, you're liquored up. You're alcohol. You know, you have a lot of alcohol in your system. You know, it's dangerous. And I was like, God, you know, I can't get in trouble for underage drinking. I've never drank before. This is the first time I ever drank. I don't want to get in trouble. And I was just freaking out. And like, no, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. Nobody's going to tattle on you. We all, we all work together. We do this all the time. You know, we're not going to rat you out. And I was like, oh, man, you kind of consoled me and maybe calmed down. So I just went upstairs and I, I laid in bed and I went to sleep. Well, I woke up because a police officer woke me up. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> they found out I was underage drinking. I am in a lot of trouble. Didn't tell me what was going on. Just asked me to get up and get ready to go around to the, the, police car there was like there's around eight police cars i think at that time maybe there was more so in my mind i'm thinking everybody's getting in trouble because almost everybody at this party is underage and uh excuse me and um i, I was like this is this is this is not good police officer was asking me questions i was i was telling him you know i was trying to I was trying to beat her on the bush that I was drinking because he didn't ask me directly about drinking or anything he was just kind of asking me about the night well he was being super nice. Um, and they're like, all right, well, you know, we got to take it to the police, ca police station, ask you some questions. I'm like, okay. Took me to the police station, and I don't know how much longer this was, but I know that I was feeling just super sick. Like, my throat, I had a weird taste in my mouth. I couldn't handle it. I was just, I think I threw up in the, in the, in the interrogation room. They offered me a soda. I was like, yes, please, because I just needed to get the taste out of my mouth. And he was asking me questions. Got more into detail about why he was asking me the questions, and you know, I was more alarmed. Like, what? And, you know, I was like, I, I didn't do anything I wasn't supposed to do other than drink underage. And uh, you know, I even told him I was like, well, the alcohol came from this this woman, and that didn't didn't matter at all. 
Um, so they got to the point where these interrogators were, they were really nice in the beginning, but they started to get to the point where like, hey, you know, we've talked to everybody. I should have been smarter about this. I was 18 years old, never been in trouble in my life. I never um, broke any laws. I've never been interrogated before for doing something wrong. Every time I was ever under the gun with a police officer, it was because I did something good and I was letting the police officer know what happened because I broke up a fight or I saw in a car accident or whatever. So I was just, you know, I was just nervous. You know, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, they kept telling me, you know, you're, you're in trouble. Um, you know, this is, this is what everybody's saying that you did. And, and, you know, everybody's saying this and your story is different than everybody else's. And, um, if your stories don't line up, you're going to get in way more trouble. And you're looking at like 40 to 60 years in prison. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, cause I'm like, what the, I didn't do this. And he's, He's like, you know, um, if I were you, I would, I would just, I would just say, you know, what happened and, uh, make sure that it matches up everybody's story. And they were kind of giving me bits and pieces of what other people were saying. And they're like, you know, the, the more truth you tell, the better off you're going to be or the more, more in line it is, the, the better off it's going to look in court and the, the less of the sentence that you're going to get. So at this point, I'm just like, fuck, like, I'll just, I'll just tell them what they want to hear. I mean, I went overly detailed to make myself look bad i was even telling them i think in the one point where i was physically taking the other guy and like forcing them by my hands you know like like um just to make because that's kind of the the vibe they were giving me like 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 i was at fault for everything so at the end of it instead of getting a lawyer i he, he read me the thing didn't sound anything like what i would say you know the way he worded everything it was very i don't know awkward um but that was it, and I was like, yeah, it sounds pretty close to pretty close to what I just said, and I signed it, not thinking anything of it, didn't realize. It actually felt better, you know, now that I thought that I was telling them what they wanted to hear. So they took me into this, uh, this I think it was a hospital. It was a hospital or it was something in the, I'm trying to think. Anyways, I did get a DNA test. Um, so I went and got the DNA test, threw up again while I was there. After that, they took me to the jail. Um, never been to jail before. That was an experience. Um, cold and wet and just not comfortable at all. So I didn't know what to expect. Uh, in jail when I was there, you, you sit in this cell and it's a concrete block and they have a little pad on top of it. And first before you get in there, the guy asked, you have to go into this room and you have to strip down. And they give you this like uh, overall type of thing. So you get a white t-shirt, some really uncomfortable non-stretchy underwear and this little overall thing to go on top of it and then they give you some long tube socks and some sandals and he's like ah oh, what size sandals do you wear and i was like i don't know like 10 11 well he gave me one size 10 and one size 11 so <laughs> however many days i was in there which i couldn't keep track of it was uh, uh two different size shoes so that was that was fun um got up to the cell and i don't know how many days it was it felt like freaking forever it felt like a week before they did this um this bail hearing, which I've never even knew what that was, brought me down to a room in front of a, a camera and the judge said something about $5,000. And I didn't know what the hell that meant. I didn't even know what bail was at the time. You know, I was 18, pretty ignorant. And I got upstairs and, and the other guys on the other side was like, how much was it? And I was like, what is what? And they're like, your bail. And I was like, all he said was $5,000. And everybody's like, oh my God, that's crazy. Like none of us have anything close to that. And I'm like, what does that mean? What is bail? And they told me and my heart sank. Cause I'm like, I don't know anybody who has $5,000 to get me out of here. I'm going to be stuck in here for God knows how long. And uh, people are like, man, you know, people better love you. And I'm like, I don't know anybody with that kind of money. And it was, 
an hour later, they announced my name and said, your, your bail has been posted. I'm like, what? Like, who the hell? <laughs> my family, which I don't really talk too much, gathered all the money they could, and they, they posted my bail, $5,000, and they, they came and picked me up. And I was, I was pretty emotional because, I mean, that was huge. Um, went home, told my, my family everything that happened because, I mean, they, you know, all they hear is what they heard on the news. They're like, you know, we know it's not true, and I, I told them exactly what happened. And that was the uh, that was the long road to to the beginning of, of a nightmare. Um, so the next step after I got out was to get me a lawyer, and it was really difficult to find a good lawyer because they're expensive, and I had no money. But we did find one, um, a pretty well known one, and he had a retainer fee of like twenty five hundred dollars. And I had a friend who had some parents who had some money, and I, I talked to them. To see, I tried to see if they would be able to lend me some money. And they made a deal with me, and I signed a little thing for him and got this lawyer. Sat down with the lawyer, told him the situation, and he told me straight out there's not much he's going to be able to do for me. Um, the fact that I signed a statement saying that I committed the crime was my noose, and I wasn't going to be able to work my way out of that. He said, no matter what, I'm going to get a punishment. Um, he just doesn't know how severe it's going to be, and his job is just to get the, the best punishment for me that he possibly can, the least, you know, the, the lowest push, punishment they could possibly get for me. So, you know, I worked with them on, on everything that I could possibly do. And in the meantime, um, until my... He tried to drag my court cases out as long as possible. Um, I guess that was just one of his strategies. I think it was like he pushed it out six months, and then I think he pushed it out like another six months after that before the actual um, end result for the prosecution. But So I had... Damn, it had to have been almost a year of freaking out about what my punishment was going to be and not knowing what was going to go on. And I, I met a girl, and I was pretty vulnerable because of my situation. And not many people, you know, want to date a guy who's possibly going to go to prison or jail. I met a girl um, before all this happened, and I ended up dating her and accidentally got her pregnant after a few months of dating. And, you know, at this point, I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, probably marry this girl anyways and have a family so it didn't really matter at that time but it still was more heartbreaking because now I'm about to have a baby and I don't know what's going to happen to me you know and that was super super scary for me that just kind of added on to the, the pressure and they do this thing called a pre-sentence investigation where you go in and they kind of they feel you out they, they try to see how you are as a person they ask about your your family history, how your parents are, um, they look at your record and kind of see if you've been in trouble before to kind of evaluate and see if you are a bad or a good person, if you are likely to commit this type of crime or not. And it was a court-ordered one. I could do my own if I wanted to, but the court-ordered one was free. So I did that one because it was free. And it was at the probation office. So I go into this room, and this guy is a dick. I mean, he just... I know he deals with criminals all the time, and he just has that mentality like everybody's a criminal. So I sit down at this desk, and he's asking me all these questions, asking me about my family history, my parents, um, you know, if they ever got in trouble. Um, and he has this book, and this book was thick. And he throws it up on the table, and he's like, this book has every time that you've ever been in any police report or any situation ever on our records. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, how the hell is my name in, in this thick of a book? Well, he starts whipping it open and he starts asking me about certain dates and certain times, kind of giving me hints about what it was about um, for each each situation. And 
as I'm remembering what was going on in this book, every situation was a good deed. Um, I broke up a fight and um, that the police were called and uh, you know I gave my testimony, my story about what happened because this fight broke out or, or um, I saw a car accident and I was a witness to it. You know, it was all good things. Um, or I was in a car accident with my mom or something like that and they got my name on the police report. So the more stories he, he's coming up with, None of them are bad, and everyone that's good is making him more and more angry, which is kind of messed up if you think about it, because if anything, it should be a good thing. But I think they just want you to be guilty. And um, so at the end of this, I'm feeling really good, because there's nothing that they have on me as far as, as my history goes. You know, I'm quite the opposite of what they expected. So when we went to, um, when I talked to my lawyer again after the pre-sentence investigation was done, he said that I was... Uh, an evil person likely to make, to commit the crime that they claimed I, I committed, whether I was drunk or, or sober. And I was like, what? And I told my lawyer, I was like, this is exactly what he was asking me. I told him exactly what, you know, the, all these cases were, and there was nothing they had against me. And he's like, you know, he's like, I would advise that you, you get your own pre-sentence investigation. So we started looking into it and it was like $800. So I found a guy, I'm sorry, it was like $600. So I found a guy, um, did the pre-sentence investigation with him. Super nice guy. Uh, he pretty much told me, you would not be surprised how many guys have been in the situation. Like college guys get drunk with women and then they claim, you know, I didn't want it. And, you know, it was consensual for both of them. But at the end of the day, you know, the guy gets the, the short end of the stick. And he's like, you know, I come across a lot of people like that. And he's like, this case is no different. So he makes the pre-sentence investigation and sends it out. And, uh, that's the one we used. So, well, I still had a couple months left before my final date to go in for the judgment. And uh, one night, my friend, actually the, the friend of the girl who I was dating that I got pregnant, um, she called me bawling. And I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, can you, can you please just meet me at my work? I really need to talk to you. And I was like, okay, you know, what's going on? She's like, just meet me out here. So I drove my motorcycle out to meet her. And I was like, hey, what's going on? She worked at, which is actually right next door to the, the McDonald's that I, I worked at, is an IHOP. And she, the girl that I got in trouble with, her sister was the manager at this IHOP. And my friend didn't know um, the situation. I mean, she knew, she knew what happened, but she didn't know the girl. She didn't know that she was sisters with the, the woman that she worked with. And she was telling me that her sister was telling, I don't know if it was another employer, if it was a friend, or even if it was her sister, but she said she heard her talking about this this case where um, her sister was like regretting and trying to figure out if she if she wanted to to pull this case because she felt guilty because you know the, the person didn't do this and you know she's afraid that they're going to get in a lot of trouble and uh, you know she felt guilty and you know but she's afraid she's going to lose her job because she just took out a alone on a truck just moved out of her parents house um and if she if she lost her job because she was at this party that she wasn't supposed to be at and on top of that supplying alcohol to a bunch of minors uh, she can get in a lot of trouble and she's going to lose everything so she said that she realized that the more she heard about this it sounded like me and she realized it was and that's why she just freaked out and she just ran out of the building and started crying and she called me and i was like holy shit um, I called my lawyer the next day and told him what was going on. And he said, there's nothing we can do with that. You know, unless there was a recording or anything like that, we can't use that because that's hearsay. So I was like, come on, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to use everything I possibly can. I had, I had, the people that were at the party, there was a lot of people that were in the room. Um, 
that were willing to testify for me and everything, you know, whatever we were willing to do, it was just the fact that I already pleaded guilty of this. And then the guy, the other guy who um, I got in trouble with, because of my testimony or the, my statement that I made, basically sounding like I was the reason for everything happening, they tried to use that against me. So he was just telling his, I think he was a public defender. So he was just, you know, whoever the, the courts gave him and his public defender was telling him, we're going to push everything on the Scott. We're going to make sure that it's going to sound like you wouldn't have done anything if it wasn't for him. And that was their case. So I kind of was being teamed up on by him and the, the girl's lawyer. So I screwed myself over big time and it finally came to the jurisdiction and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know what the other guy got. Um, I think his, his case was after mine. So the girl showed up to his judgment. Um, she didn't show up to mine. Uh, her family did, but she didn't. So they all showed up and she was happy, but with me, she didn't want to show up. I have no idea why. Maybe she felt more guilty about it, but the judge told me, um, I was getting a, it was a five year prison sentence, but it was a withheld sentence. So it was one year in jail and then it was, um, five years of probation after that. So they took me right away to the jail. Um, I didn't expect that. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I ended up going to this jail. And the first thing I tried to do was everybody's like, hey, um, can you sign up for Huber, you know, so we can get you back at work and get out of there. I'm like, what the hell is Huber? So I, I tried to talk to whoever I could at this this jail to, to find out if I could sign up for Huber. Eventually they gave me the paperwork. I signed up for it. It took, I don't know, like a week or so. Finally got out. And that was amazing because I, I was in there for a while and I hated it. So I got to at least leave every day to go to work. And then after that, they're like, hey, you should see if you sign up to get on the bracelet. And uh, that way you're going to be home all the time. And I would have moved in with my brother into his basement. So <clears throat> so they eventually approved me for that. So I got out and I spent the rest of my year on the bracelet. And that sucked. I mean, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I made sure I didn't break the law and I didn't go beyond anywhere I was supposed to go at any time. If I did, I had to call them and let them know. Um, you know, I was basically confined into my brother's basement. The bracelet was pretty expensive. It was, I think at that time, which was, was what, 16, 17 years ago, it was like it was like almost $900 a month. So I'm making $10 an hour and I had a motorcycle loan. I had a truck loan um, right out of high school and... I'm trying to make this work. So I got a bunch of credit cards <laughs> to try and pay. I was, I was massively in debt. And, uh, so when I, when I finally got off the bracelet, it was not fun to try and catch up. But anyways, so pardon me. So, um, when you're on probation, they're, they're very strict about what you can do. Uh, if you move anywhere, if you start working anywhere, um, if you're not working, they make sure that you apply, you can go back into jail. If you don't put in the amount of applications that they want you to, and which really sucks because, I mean, if you are on the sex offender registry, it's almost impossible to get a job. Very, very difficult. Thankfully, I was able to get a job right away with my brother as kind of like the low man on the totem pole to what I do right now. So I, I lucked out big time. And if you're dating anybody, the probation officer has to meet them and make sure that they approve their standards. If you have any uh, social media, you know, they have to be able to, you have to tell them all of your social media apps and everything. And this is, this is, um, you have to do this while you're on the registry in general. So you have to, every year on your birthday, they mail you a sheet 
for your registry, you give them any new information. Anytime you change something, if you get a new vehicle or you sell a vehicle or you move or you go to a certain school or a different school, you have to let them know. So it was pretty easy sailing. Um, my, my, probation, my probation officers were really nice to me. Um, I think they, they realized that they weren't going to have any problems with me, that I was a goody-goody and that I shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, well, I t- actually, I take that back. So what happened right after I got out, before they knew how I was, um, I had to go into the probation office and I had to tell them my story and exactly what happened. Well, it didn't match up because I told them the truth this time. It didn't match up with what I said on my report. And I told them I said that in the report because that's what they wanted to hear. And I said I, if I would have I known better. I was tricked, and I said, you know, I, I, this is the original, so this is the real story, and so they signed me up for denial therapy. Um, so I had to see a psychologist for denial, and then I had to see a psychologist for sex offender, whatever, and uh, these classes sucked. So I'm trying to remember which one it was first that they sent me to. Was it denial or was it sex offender registry? It was, I think it was denial. No, I was mistaken. It was a sex offender class. So I go into this room, and there is uh, probably 14 other people in this room, and there's this big round table. And the guy doing the class is just giving us uh, kind of a spiel about everything, and and, um, everybody had to give their own individual testimony. Now, the fucked up part is this is a sex offender class, but I was the only guy in this room that wasn't in there for any kind of child activity every single person in this room and some of these stories these guys told were just freaking sick every one of them was a like a, a child that was like 12 or under and I'm, I'm sitting here just sick to my stomach hearing these stories and one of these guys was in like a wheelchair and he had like seven or eight cases against him and you know this class is supposed to like pretty pretty much like tell you why what you did is bad and I already know that I'm going to be going into denial class, and I'm thinking, well, if I just tell them the story that I had in my report, that I won't, you know, maybe I won't have to go to denial class because I just told them what they wanted to hear. So that's exactly what I did. This is like a chess game that I really sucked at. And so when it came to my turn, which I was actually one of the last ones, um, I told them exactly what they wanted to hear. And the way I told it um, wasn't really sympathetic. Well, it's because it wasn't the truth. So the guy who was doing the, the class was just furious. He was super pissed off because the way I told the story was kind of like, I don't care. Um, you know, kind of like, I don't even want to be in this class. And everybody in this class was actually defending me. And they're like, you know, we can tell that he's not the type that would do this. Um, you can tell that he's telling you guys what you want to hear and that's not the truth. And, and the teacher is getting more pissed off. And the teacher, whatever you want to call him, the psychologist is getting more pissed off because he's like, no, you know, this guy's guilty. He was charged. He's guilty. He's in this class. He needs to, he needs to know what he did wrong. And, you know, he can't, he can't be doing this. He has no sympathy. I think that's the part he was pissed off about the most is that I sounded like I had no sympathy or any empathy. And, um, he was, he was being a dick to me and I decided to be a dick back to him. And then out of everything, we're actually yelling back and forth. He actually said something about him having cancer and, uh, you know, like really bad cancer. And I kind of felt bad about it. So I apologized to him after the class that we got into it. And he didn't really want to accept my apology. So (laughs) it is what it is. So he had my um, probation officer come in when he did my testimony. My probation officer felt the same. He was really pissed off because I didn't sound like I had any remorse or or sympathy or empathy. And um, so he was like, you know, this is, this is, 
bad, you know, he's like, you definitely have to go to denial class um, because there's something seriously wrong with you. You seriously don't think that what you did was wrong. So he sent me to this this group. Um, it was the class that he signed me up for, the one that he wanted me to go to. And in this room, they had me a huge table with a bunch of psychologists, and I had to tell my story again. And I can't remember if I told the truth or if I told the story they wanted to hear. Either way, they told me um, that I'm accepted into their class, but the prerequisites are that it's a three-year class. And while I'm on this class, I am not allowed to be around any children whatsoever, whether they're my children, uh, nieces, nephews, anybody, anybody under the age of, I forgot what it was. Like it was like 15 or 16 or something like that. And I went home, and I've never, it hit me so hard, because I had a baby on the way, and I called, uh, now at this point, me and my, my daughter's soon-to-be, or my, my soon-to-be daughter's mom, we weren't dating anymore, we broke up, I think, like, nine months into our relationship, or something like that, it just got really complicated. Anyways, um, I called her, and I told her what they told me, and I just started bawling. I mean, I, I couldn't stand. I just fell to the ground. It would just hit me so hard, and she was trying to comfort me. And I told my probation officer what their prerequisites were, and I said, I can't do it. I said, if you're going to do that, you might as well put me in prison. I was like, that's torture. That's just, it, it was it was too much for me. Um, and he said, well, he said, the only other option is you can pay for your own uh denial class and I said okay I will start looking and he said but this is your time limit this is how much time you have you have to find one within this time and I did and what I did first thing I did was I ran to the guy who did my pre-sentence investigation and asked him if that's something that he did because I really liked working with him he was really easy uh, laid back relaxing he listened um, he said yeah yeah man I'll do that so another six hundred dollars I'll do the class so I, I sat down with him and I did the class um, actually no uh, I had to get it approved through my probation officer now this is really a coincidence it was an awesome coincidence so i i went and talked to the guy and then i came back to my probation officer and i said this is the guy i want to do it with and so i need to know his information and blah blah blah. so i gave him the name and he said okay um he said that guy was my college professor and i trust everything that he says and i was like really <laughs> like well, what the hell is the what's the uh the chances of that. So this guy did this class, and he said the same thing he said in the pre-sentence investigation, that this guy's not guilty. Um, you know, he's telling the truth. He he didn't do anything. And my probation, my probation officer after that was really nice to me and did not treat me like a criminal anymore. And I only had him for like three more months until they transferred me to a new one. But she also treated me really nice. So... After that, it was pretty much smooth sailing. Um, they they have you come in like once a week, and then eventually, after like six months or whatever, they do it every two weeks, and eventually they work it down to once a month. And you know, it goes down more and more and more. And they'll do random checks at your house just to make sure you're not drinking alcohol or anything, because you're not supposed to drink or, or you know smoke marijuana or do anything stuff, which I never did. Um, so the the day I got in trouble was the first day I ever drank. And it was the last day I ever drank, as far as like getting drunk. Um, every now and then, ever since I met my wife, African hippie, um, I will have a glass of wine every now and then, but it's a very small glass and it doesn't get me even buzzed or anything. So, I mean, I just do it just for the hell of it. Um, taste is okay. I'm not a big fan of wine. <laughs> I don't really like alcohol in general. So I don't drink, um, never smoked still and still a goody goody. But yeah, ever since then it was, it was really smooth sailing. I had, 
total of six years on probation. Um, the first year I was in jail, I didn't really talk to the probation officer much because I couldn't really do much um, until towards the end of that year. And the registry for sex offender was only supposed to be 15 years. That's what the judge said. Oh, I also forgot to mention when the judge did my sentencing, he said this out loud in front of everyone, but he, he said, this is what your sentence was supposed to be. Cause I took a plea deal. I don't know if I ever mentioned that. So I took a plea deal and he said, this is what your, your sentence is supposed to be. I'm, I'm giving you an extra. Um, so I was supposed to get a misdemeanor, like the highest misdemeanor you can get. And he changed it to the lowest felony, which made a huge difference. And he said, just to set an example for his community, not to do stuff like what I was supposedly have done. And that felony is what really messed me up. That's what, that's what makes it so I have to put that I'm a felon and everything. I can't own a gun. Um, they wouldn't allow me to vote while I was on probation, but I can vote now that I'm not on probation. Um, while you're on probation, that's typically where all of the, the, um, the difficult areas are because they have more control over, every, over what you do. You know, they're kind of like your mom and dad and they get to choose for you. So well, now that I'm off of that, I mean, there's still things I can't do. Like I can't own a gun or anything like that, but um, I don't have to worry about getting their permission for anything or having any social medias or, you know, I'm allowed to do whatever the hell I want in the state of Wisconsin. Um, I did have one situation. So when my ex-wife and I split, uh, I'm sorry, we weren't split at the time. We were together. So I, I started a TikTok and I, this is, this is when I started doing like family stuff with my kids and we were doing like really funny content and everything. We got about 300 and some thousand followers. And when I went to my kids, my son's wrestling match at his school, all of the kids there recognized me and a lot of them followed me. So they were coming up to me and they're asking if they could, um, get their pictures taken with me. Cause you know, to, to young kids in middle school, TikTok celebrities are anybody who has over like 20,000 followers. So. So they're asking me, um, you know, if I'd follow them back and stuff like that. And they're, they're showing me like their accounts and I was typing in my thing so I could follow them and stuff like that, you know, just to kind of make them happy. And that was kind of stupid on my part. I didn't even think about it at the time because, you know, I've, I've been going to my kids events for, for a while and all of a sudden I was working and this was only like three years ago. So I was working one day and all of a sudden I got a call on my phone and as a police officer, it's like, she was super, super mad. She's like, you need to come in, blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to come in today. I'm like, I'm not, I'm like a couple hours out of town working. I can't. She's like, okay, well then tomorrow you're going to come in and, you know, I need to ask you some questions and like, what the hell's going on? So I went into the police station and to this little interrogation room again. And, uh, I was irritated. You know, I, I've been screwed over so many times and I'm so sick of my case coming back to haunt me when I shouldn't have been there in the first place that this lady could tell I was super irritated to even talk to her about this. And she's like, you want to tell me why you're, you know, we got video of you at this school and, you know, these kids are, you know, they're showing you their phones and blah, 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 blah. And I showed her, I told her. So she, she already, before she called me and she was talking to these kids and they were telling her, oh, he's big on TikTok, blah, blah, blah. So she already knew what was going on, but she had to ask me. So I told her, I was like, you know, I have this TikTok, TikTok account with my kids. Um, my son and daughter are kind of like little celebrities at school because their dad has such a big following, you know, to them. And, uh, you know, she's like, show me some of these videos. So I whipped up my phone and showed her some of these videos. And she laughed at a couple of them and everything. And kind of, she kind of calmed down. She's like, all right. So she's like, I know you've been on this for a while. I don't know how much you know about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. But she said, you know, you're, you're not supposed to go to, to the kids' schools without 
permission. And, you know, I talked to the principal and they said they didn't know anything about it. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I thought that was only while I was on probation. Um, she goes, no, as long as you're on the registry in general, you can't. So she said, but she said, I'll talk to the principal. All you need to do is get permission from the principal once. And as long as that person is principal, you know, until, unless they say otherwise, you can, you can go to the school. Um, and this goes for every school. So if my kid has a wrestling match at another school, I have to call that school's principal and so on. So, but she said, you know, I'm going to talk to the principal and I'll get it approved and you shouldn't have any issues to go to any more events at that school. Um, and I was like, okay. So I almost got in trouble for that. She told me, you know, if, if you go to any more schools or this happens, you know, without you getting the permission from the principal, you know, you're looking at another felony. I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So I did have one more running. Um, and on TikTok, there's a lot of rumors that I've heard a lot of people that were saying, oh, you know, you, you're a pedophile. You were dealing with kids. No, I was 18. She was 21. Oh, I read that he had a three-year prison sentence. No, um, I didn't spend any time in prison, you know, um, or that you spent three years in prison. No, I didn't. Um, people are saying, oh, you're not allowed to be anywhere around kids. You know, you can't go to schools, you can't go to parks, you can't go to this. Yes, I am. Um, oh, you can't have a social media. Yes, you can. Um, you have to let the registry know what social medias you all have, um, you know, because you can get in trouble if you don't. But yeah, you absolutely are allowed to have social medias. The individual companies can deny you to have uh, accounts with them. It'll say in there, there's sign when you're signing up for uh, certain accounts like TikTok and stuff, it'll say in there you can't if you're on the registry. But a lot of them don't, like YouTube doesn't and stuff like that. TikTok does. But uh, it's it's not, it's actually, they took it to court. I, I don't remember which state it was. Pardon me. I don't know what state it was, but they took this case to court to say that people on the registry cannot have any kind of social media. And the Supreme Court actually ruled it down saying that that's unconstitutional and a violation of freedom of speech. So it is to the free market. So individual companies can or cannot allow it if they don't want to, but it's not up to the government to make that decision. So a lot of people are really misinformed when they're making these statements and videos and stuff towards me. And the funny thing is a lot of these people that are showing my pictures um, when I got in trouble and they were saying, oh, you know, this guy is not supposed to be on here and blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's uh, sign a petition to get him off of here. Everybody that was showing my picture and it was saying like things like of threatening, oh, we need to call his work and stuff like it says right under the picture. You cannot use any of the information or picture from this website to harass um, threaten him, family, or work um, over the case, or you can be criminally charged. So uh, these morons who were doing this, I, I wish I would have been able to keep track of them. A lot of the bigger ones, uh, a lot of the bigger accounts had to take their videos down because people made them aware of it and they didn't want any trouble. So, you know, they just talk about this stuff without showing the picture. Um, but it, it's amazing the ignorance of the people on TikTok when it comes to this stuff. You know, I've been on TikTok for as far as doing my hypocrites on there and, and making account or making political content, I've, I've been doing it for almost two years now. And all of the content I do, I make as far as, um, you know, anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti, uh, anti-gay stuff, you know, not me anti-gay, but being anti because anybody who has a problem with gay stuff, you know, so I'm, I'm pro, um, gay freedom and, and rights. And, uh, I even made a couple of videos that went extremely viral trying to expose accounts on TikTok that had child pornography in their accounts and stuff like that. And uh, I've done a lot of things. I made a lot of videos against rape in, in certain situations. And people will take the title that you've been given, whether you're innocent or guilty, and they'll use that against you 
even against what you're actually doing. You know, even if you're showing that you're against rape and you're against all this stuff, they're like, I don't care. You know, you have this over your head, so your opinion automatically doesn't matter. And I, they're just not smart enough to, to be able to judge people based on their character and what they do, more or less. They just try to do anything they can to hurt you and get your opinion out of the way. And I'm sure anybody who's listening to this podcast knows exactly what I'm talking about, so I really don't have to explain that. But, yeah, it's, I only have, actually, okay, so i got to backtrack a little bit. Um, I said that I was on the registry for 15 years. That's what the judge said, is 15-year um, sex offender registry. But what I didn't know is that that 15-year starts after the rest of your sentence. So here I thought I was going to be off after 15 years, which it's been 17 years, so I would have been off already. But it's 15 years after my six-year sentence, so it's 21 years. So I have like four more years to go, and then I'll be off the stupid registry. And then I can show my face on TikTok, so if it's even TikTok anymore, who knows. Um, but I will be doing a YouTube soon, and uh, I'm going to be doing my hypocrite stuff on there. And my videos will be able to be a little bit longer. They won't have to be limited down to the, the three-minute mark, and I can get a little more in detail and not have to talk so fast when I'm doing my videos, trying to fit within this three minutes, so... Hopefully you guys can uh, help me gain a little bit more steam on YouTube at least and I can get my views out there because I, I feel like I have a lot to to say that I don't hear a lot of people saying and I give a, a special perspective uh, or a unique perspective. You know, Being in the situation that I've been in because of what I've gone through is what really opened up my eyes to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and everything going on because I used to be Black Lives Matter a supporter you know I used to uh, I used to say hey you know this life is so unfair in America for black people this is what they're going through and I used to be um, in huge support of, of defending that and saying that you know this this basically like this this white nation is is unfair towards everyone else and I really opened my eyes when I realized that I have been through more BS everything they're saying that black people have to go through, I've, you know, basically been through. Um, I was, I was jarred, I was judged, I was judged harsher for a sentence, openly admitted that they were judging me harsher for a sentence than I would have been creating this, this scenario for me where now I can't find work. I can't find a job anywhere. I went homeless because while you're, if you're on the registry or you're felon, you can't get government assistance for housing and stuff like that. So when I, in 2008, when the economy crashed, I went homeless. I wasn't able to get any government help. I wasn't be able to get um, anything. And we ended up moving to another state because my I moved in with my wife at the time, her ex-husband's family. That's that's the scenario I was put in. That's how screwed I was. And on top of that, my ex-wife is Asian. For anybody who doesn't know, she's Hmong. Her ex-husband, her um, ex-husband's mom, so her ex-mother-in-law, her husband is extremely racist towards white people. And he wasn't around all the time. So when we actually moved into her house, into the basement, he was randomly coming home like every few other weekends. And she came downstairs running down, hey, you, you got to get you out of here. You got to get out of here. What are you talking about? Um, my husband's coming home. He'll be here in like a half an hour. And, and he can't stand white people. And you're not allowed here. If, if you don't leave, then she, he's going to kick the rest of He's going to kick your, your wife and your kids and everybody out. And None of you will be able to stay here. You won't have a place to go. So you have to. We have to hide you for the weekend. I'm like, are you freaking serious right now? So they checked me into the cheapest hotel they could that had all the smoke and it was just, it was just nasty. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been really difficult to find work to get back on my feet. Right now, I'm in really, I'm in a really good position. Um, you know, thankfully I bounced back and 
I did the smartest thing by finding a career that was rare and creating a really good skill set in it. So that way I was actually wanted by other companies and um, people were, were willing to, to pay me more to, to work for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the position where I can be a voice and I can kind of talk about these cases when people are judged for things that they're innocent for. I mean, obviously there's a lot of sick men out there doing really dumb shit, but I used to think that when people were judged for something, that I had a lot of faith in the, the government judgment system, you know, and, and the judicial system and that people deserved what they got. And it opened up my eyes to realize that there's a lot of people being put into situations where they didn't commit these crimes. And, you know, I'm more sympathetic to that just because I've been through that scenario and I know what it's like to be put in front of an interrogator when you're young and naive and should be asking for a lawyer and staying silent and instead opening your stupid mouth and, and telling them exactly what they want to hear because they're threatening you and, and making you scared. And I wish I could go back and change that. But at the same time, this may be who I am today. If I wouldn't have gone through this, I wouldn't be on TikTok being able to tell my stories and, and uh, give me my perspectives. And I realized that back then I was a pushover and I was really weak and I just didn't care about anything. And I was just kind of along for the ride and I wouldn't have ended up anywhere. And having to go through this hell and back and be treated like I'm lower than dirt, um, just based on this, you know, it's almost like being like a Jew with a thing on your arm, you know, in, in Nazi Germany, you know, people just, they look at you like you're a piece of crap. And being put in that situation developed a much stronger Scott and a much uh, more adaptable and easier understanding and open-minded Scott. And uh, so <laughs> every negative has a positive to some degree, even if it's really bad. So, um, you know, if I, if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be married to my beautiful wife who you guys know is ironically one of the first people I interviewed on this podcast. And we ended up getting together because I called her for a second interview um, for th with to do with another TikToker named This Is Savvy. And that's kind of how everything got started with that. So <laughs> if it wasn't for this podcast, I never would have met her or TikTok. So, you know, everything is going well. Um, I really don't know if there's anything that I missed. Um, like I said, this is 17 years ago, and I'm, I'm trying to remember everything. Um, honestly, quite honestly, I try to forget it all if I'm being honest, but you know, if there's anything, uh, I guess I really don't have a way for you guys to contact me to ask me questions, but maybe if you watch my videos, uh, or you kind of comment on my wife's posts on her African hippie profile, you know, feel free to ask any questions and I'll see if I can answer them. But now you guys know my story. Uh, you know what I've gone through and for the most part, I mean, I try to be detailed, but I probably left a lot of it out. And uh, I really appreciate you guys listening in and giving me some support. And when everything went down and the left on TikTok were trying, pardon me, when the left on TikTok were trying so hard to, to make, to take my voice away, to say that my opinions don't matter because of the circumstances that I'm put in, I got so much support. So many people came to defend me. And, uh, that was one of the most amazing feelings ever because I've never had that before. I never had it where a whole group of people came to defend me. You know, the only people that were defending me were the people that I've met in my life against the people that I never met in my life. You know, any, any ex-girlfriend I've ever had would vouch for me and say that I'm not the person that the title that I'm st stuck under am. You know, the fact that the fact that the girl that I would have wanted to sleep with more than anyone 
at the time. I didn't. And then the very next night, I ended up sleeping with somebody because I was drunk and stupid and basically gave in to her just laying on top of me and, and giving in to whatever because I just didn't care at that point. You know, there, there's a huge difference between somebody who actually wants to do something and somebody who doesn't. And, uh, you know, everybody who defended me sees me for who I am, and they all saw that I wasn't that type of person. And that was very heartwarming, and it made me feel amazing. So I appreciate everything that you guys have done to support me and defend me. And uh, I'm going to keep trying to push out this content, and I'm hoping nothing can stop me. I guess we'll see. Um, on to my YouTube adventures. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for, for joining this episode, and I hope um, you leave understanding more. And... Uh, that there's no questions needed to be answered. If there is, I apologize. Like I said, this is really difficult to try and remember everything and every little detail, but I tried. So you guys have a wonderful night, and uh, on to the next episode. We'll see who I can get on here. Bye-bye.